Anyone who says that they like don't want a Chili's to come to Manhattan is just lying. Yes, you want that cheap good food. It's so good. I love for ten dollars you can get like a full like meal with a dessert, drink, Ugh. appetizer, and entree. Ten dollars. I'm not over it because what the entrees also come with sides. I know. Well, do you think do you think Chili's would advertise for us? <laughs> Oh my god, that's the dream. Do you think we could advertise for Chili's? Like, oh my god. It'll be like, you know, like the guys for Sonic, but it's just us. Yes. Yes. Talking about Chili's. <gasps> oh my god. They wouldn't even need to pay us in money. They could pay us in Chili's gift cards. And welcome to Poor Unfortunate Podcast. I'm Connor Perkins. And I'm Caroline A. Meddy. Welcome to any new listeners. Thank you for, you know, giving us a try. Please make sure that you follow and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so that all of our new content gets downloaded to your device because I have a feeling that you're going to like this episode. And then to all of our returning listeners, welcome. It's so nice to have you here again. We love you. If you haven't hit follow or subscribe, now's a good time to do it. I'm not going to beat you up for it. Like, just do it and we'll move on. But the other thing I'm going to ask of you returning folk, if you have not given us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen on, you should do that because... My birthday was recently, and that would mean a lot to me. There you go. Caroline, what's new? <laughs> um. Oh, oh. First of all, I was thinking of this because you just mentioned your birthday. So we had a grand old time for Connor's birthday. We, like, we played mini golf. We Disney bounded as villains. It was great. But right after we played mini golf in the city, Connor sent me an article telling me that Disney is opening mini yes! Disney owned mini golf in New York City by Battery Park. Yeah. It's a dream come true. It's a Pixar themed yeah. mini golf course. Oh. Licensed by Disney, like Disney. I can't approved. even believe that. I can't even believe it. It'll have stuff from Finding Nemo, Inside Out, Up ratatouille Mm -hmm. there's a whole list of things and it's supposed to be coming this july so like (gasps) i forgot right around the corner oh my gosh we're gonna be there you'll find us oh my god we're 100 gonna be there and then we're gonna have disney bound as our favorite pixar characters yeah (gasps) that always makes me think of bridesmaids (laughs) when ellie kemper uh suggests her bachelorette party she's like we could all have a pixar theme party and we all dress as our favorite pixar characters oh my god Other things going on, Loki is out on Disney+. Plus. Mm -hmm. We've gotten, so far, as of when we're recording, the first two episodes. When this podcast comes out, we'll have the first three episodes. Luca is also out on Disney+. Mm Plus. Black Widow's coming out July 9th. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jungle Cruise is coming out later in July. Yeah, the the fireworks are coming back to Disney parks. Yeah. Out-of-town residents can now go to Disneyland. It's 
we're back. Yeah, things are things are really happening. Yeah. Uh, I'm hearing nightmare stories out of the Magic Kingdom and in Disneyland. Of absolutely. guests just being absolutely atrocious. Yep, so absolutely, that's how absolutely. we really know things are back yeah. to normal. <laughs> <laughs> we had the oh my god, we had the person jump out of the living with the land boat to grab a cucumber. Please don't even talk to me about that. Did you see that? What is it? Is it her wanting to be able to say I did this daredevilly thing? Is it pure stupidity? Like I just don't understand. I don't know because it also got captured on TikTok and put up to the internet. And I'm no. like, they're going. No, find I won't you. watch it. Please stop ruining Living with the Land. I love that ride. I, it's just so rude to me. It, it's sacred. I know stop they're going to take it, it away from us. Please, this is making me so angry. Please, I, I can't even talk. I can't <laughs> talk about it. Oh my god! You can tell she's getting angry. I mean, you guys can't, but you can tell she's getting angry because her eyes are like darting away. She's not looking. She wasn't I can't, looking. I can't, I can't she is. talk about it. She'd just be like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> um, those are some of the things that are happening right now, slash in the more immediate future. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can also make sure that you follow us on social media so that we can keep you up to date with other Disney stuff. Yeah, I've been learning a lot lately also from, um, I've told you about this before, Mornings with Mickey. She's a Disneyland um, account. And I've been learning a lot of things about what it takes to get into Avengers Campus right now. And it's absolutely wild. So if you're planning on doing that this summer, definitely go look up Mornings with Mickey. It's a lot. (laughs) Like, is it worth it? I don't know. I would try if I was there because I want to see it. I know. But Uh, it's like you see it and it's also like one ride. And it's like. I know. I know. And the food, the food, though. And, you know, like the food looks amazing. There's so much. I know. But like this is one of my biggest my biggest complaints that I have about a lot of these expansions. I saw this on Twitter, mm. and I, I was like, th- th- these are my thoughts exactly. Um, I have to look back at who who said them. I, d- I don't remember offhand. But essentially it was saying, like, as we get expansions and new things being built in Disney parks, the biggest complaint slash one of the things that's not really great about them is that they're not really building attractions or rides. They'll give you, like, one new ride, but then the rest is, like, sort of general vibes and shopping Mm -hmm. and food and things Mm -hmm. like that. So essentially what they're doing is they're giving you one ride, so you spend a lot of time waiting in that area, especially if they have a virtual queue, so that then you're spending more money in order to actually experience it. And a lot of the things that you'd spend money on aren't repeatable things, like, for Mm -hmm. every trip, like you would if you go on a ride. Like, thinking Mm -hmm. about Galaxy's Edge, one of the attractions is to build your own lightsaber. Right. Which is really expensive to do. Or Mm -hmm. you build your own droid, too. Mm -hmm. Both really expensive things to do, but also things that you're probably not going to do every time you go. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, a ride would be something that's repeatable for people and feels like it's worth the money. Instead... It's sort of cheapening the value of your admission ticket because in order to actually get the experience there, you have to spend additional money every single time Mm -hmm. to do things that don't last. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) I think that's all of the Disney news that we're going to share. We'll just jump into the episode now. Let's, Let's do this. So here we are. We are in our second cycle of season two. Starting things off with the rant and the rave. So if you don't know how this works by now, if you're a new listener, essentially what happens is we pick a general theme to talk about, and one of us will rant about something that relates to that theme, and then one of us will rave about something Mm -hmm. with that theme. So in this instance, 
I get to rant, so I get to do the negative stuff. And then Caroline gets to do the positive stuff. Yeah. So our yes. topic for this round are Disney friendships slash Disney semi-romantic Like, will they, won't they friends with yeah. benefits? Yeah. That, that, kind <laughs> of? Not like, not exactly canon Disney. Yeah. Not exactly <laughs> canon Disney couples, but our sort of couples. Yeah. Like Disney duos. Yeah. But, but they're definitely not couples. just friends. <laughs> right. We just right. said the same thing 50 times. <laughs> That's the theme, if you can follow it. Who knows? <laughs> so I'll go first because I have the rant, and so I'm going to be negative, and we'll end on a positive note. Yes. So I'm going to talk about one of those Disney couples where their friendship slash relationship, I think, is actually really toxic and yeah. kind of fucked up. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's Peter Pan and Wendy. Yeah. And yeah, I I feel like there are probably going to be some people who are going to be like, no. In which case, go back and watch the movie because I did. And woof. Mm. So here we go. First off, I'm going to give you some history about it because that's, you know, how I always do Mm -hmm, things. mm -hmm. So Peter Pan was released on February 5th, 1953. The directors were Clyde Geronimi, Hamilton Lusky, and Wilfred Jackson. And it's based on Peter Pan and Wendy by J.M. Barry, and more specifically, his 1904 play, Peter Pan or The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up. Mm-hmm. Now, there were some complaints in like the New York Times about like when the movie came out about how it really wasn't very faithful to the play for something that was saying that's based off of it, which I found was interesting. Um, the story was written by Milt Banta, Bill Cottrell, Winston Hibbler, Bill Pete, Erdman Penner, Joe Rinaldi, Ted Sears, Ralph Wright. You guessed it. It's another one with more freaking men mm-hmm. <laughs> writing the story. Yep. The producer was Walt Disney. And it starred, among others, Bobby Driscoll as Peter Pan, Catherine Beaumont as Wendy Darling. She was also the live-action model for Wendy and was the live-action model and voice for Alice in Alice in Wonderland. Hans Conried was Captain Hook, Bill Thompson, Mr. Smee, Paul Collins, John Darling, and Tommy Lusky, who is the son of one of the directors, Hamilton Lusky. He was Michael. Hmm. Cute. All right. So, plot. Like I did with Cinderella, I'm not going to summarize this movie. I'm not going to give you a plot synopsis. (laughs) This is a Disney classic. You need to see, or more than likely, you probably already have seen it. And so if you're a person who even bothers to listen to this podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So if you haven't, though, just take the time. It's like an hour and 15 minutes. Is it really that short? Yeah, it's like that. Hold Mm -hmm. on to your culturally sensitive pearls and just watch this movie. Mm -hmm. They have a nice little statement at the beginning where they talk about, like, this is there's some insensitive stuff in here. Um, one last thing I'll mention about the movie is that it had one direct sequel that has been made, Return to Neverland. But it also launched the entire Tinkerbell Disney Fairies franchise and a live-action Peter and Wendy, if you don't know. That live-action film is slated to premiere on Disney Plus in 2022. So, Mm -hmm. all right, now I'm going to get into why Wendy and Peter suck as a pair. Okay. So I'm just going to preface this entire thing 
by saying, yes, I acknowledge that this is an animated feature made a long time ago in a different context and when different ideas slash ideals were standardized. That being said, just because this is how things were doesn't make them okay. Mm. And yeah, I'm putting a lot of attention on a cartoon relationship, so like, take what you want. I'm not canceling Peter Pan and Wendy. I don't hate people who love this movie or who ship Peter and Wendy for all time. I still have a very special place in my heart for this movie and its magic. I still get chills in the opening sequence. There are moments that still make me tear up and feel like a kid again. Like, I do love this movie. But over the years, (laughs) me and my sisters were always annoyed by Wendy and Peter in this adaptation of the story. And we put a lot of that on Wendy. We were like, she's clingy, she's whiny, she's needy, and she's just like overly endearing, like, wow. And yeah, she is <laughs> all of those things. But after the rewatch of this film, I'm much kinder to Wendy. Oh. Because really the foundation of their friendship slash relationship is just kind of fucked and weak. And it mostly stems from Peter's self-centeredness mm-hmm. and his overinflated ego And then also Wendy's romanticization of Peter instead of dealing with slash seeing the person who is right in front of her. So I'm going to go over what I mean by this. And then after that, I'm going to dive into some specific examples from the movie because often all of these things are happening at the same time, Mm. which that's a good sign that things are not good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So let's start with Peter's self-centeredness and his overinflated ego. Okay. Yeah. Peter is a raging narcissist and not invested in Wendy's interests, hopes, dreams, aspirations, anything, like at all. Almost all of his relationships, especially with other girls and women, they're transactional. Yeah, like, I do for agree. Me? I need to be the hero slash center of the attention, so how can you help me do that? Mm-hmm. So let's dive into Peter needs to be the hero always first. Yeah. Right out of the gate, we get to know exactly who Peter is. He comes to the window of the Darling home every night to hear Wendy tell stories about who? Peter Pan. He (laughs) even admits that that's why he likes them and that he then tells them to the Lost Boys. So every night, he flies across a dimension (laughs) to get imaginary fodder from Wendy about how amazing he is that then he can regurgitate to gaslight the Lost Boys to keep his power. Dang. Yeah. Narcissism. That's narcissism. Oh, this is sinister already. (laughs) And this is our good guy of the story. Like, holy hell. Another thing with Peter needing to be the hero, after Peter is honored by the chief for saving Tiger Lily, when Wendy finally, like, asserts some control over the unruly Lost Boys, which leads to the rager, your mother and mine, Peter is not the center of attention and not the hero anymore. So he literally goes into the other room and pouts. He doesn't show his face to any of them again until he does the quote-unquote heroic thing of catching Wendy when she walks the plank. Mm. Because that is how deep in his soul he has to be the hero always. And when he is not, he removes himself from the situation. It's like the kid at the at, at the playground who's like, if I can't win, no one plays the game. Oh, yeah. I was like, going to say, I've definitely is, been that with is those Peter. guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. So 
that's what I'm talking about with Peter needing to be the hero yeah. always. Let's talk about his transactional interactions, his relationship with girls slash women. So Wendy. We know at the beginning of the film that Wendy tells the stories, but Peter never actually needs to meet Wendy because he's getting everything that he needs just by listening. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to meet her face-to-face. He can just creep outside her window, Mm -hmm. and he gets what he needs. And on the night that he wakes her chasing his shadow, even as Wendy is sitting there very kindly sewing his shadow to him, he is, like, nothing but rude and short. He says, girls talk too much as she's blabbing away, which, like, yeah, she's blabbing away. But, like, dude, she's doing you a big favor, so, like, just shut the fuck up. And then he also, like, after he's, like, girls talk too much, and she's like, yes, girls talk too much. And then she cuts herself off, and she's like, oh. And he goes, well, get on with it, girl. <gasps> I have a, If I have a needle in my hand, that is going right up the Into foot. the booty, oh. <laughs> I would not be putting up with that shit. But Wendy has more patience than I. So here I'm I'm giving her some props. And then when she's introducing herself and giving her full name, he cuts her off from that. He's like, Wendy's enough. Uh, I'm like, dude, she's talking to her hero over here. And he doesn't give two shits about her until she says that that night is the last night in the nursery. And that means... No more stories Mm -hmm. about Peter Pan. And this is when he's like, okay, that can't happen. I need your stories. So you're just going to come to Neverland with me, and it's all going to be fun. And Wendy over here, she's just like, oh, my God, this is so great. This is so great. But it's a purely selfish reason for Peter Mm -hmm. as to why why he's having her come with him. He wants the stories. He can't afford to lose them. So he's like, you're coming with me. It's about him. He needs to be the hero. Wendy helps with that, so he's going to bring her to Neverland so she can keep telling stories about him and then also take care of him and the Lost Boys because he has a job for her to do. He's bringing her because she's going to be a a mother. Mm -hmm. It's a task. It's not an adventure. Mm -hmm. So the literal foundation of their friendship in this moment is that he has a job for her. Yep. And that's it. So that's that's where we are with Wendy. Mm-hmm. A lot of the transaction with Tiger Lily and the mermaids is that they are just able to make Peter feel good about himself. Mm. They can fill that damsel in distress role for him. And all they need is attention and some charm slash light flirting, which in and of itself isn't too great a cost because even that keeps the attention on him. Right. And then now let's move on to Tinkerbell because everybody loves Tinkerbell. Tink... While another character that he clearly benefits from, she's also kind of the only character that we see him actually have some sort of emotional investment in, Mm -hmm. like for her well-being. Granted, this is after she nearly dies for him. But he says that he has to save her before he can save Wendy because she matters to him more than anything in the world. And so back to our narcissism thing, even then, while he's trying to save her, he's relating it back to him. Mm -hmm. Tinkerbell is Peter's confidant his, like, drone scout (laughs) and kind of, like, a skilled assassin type kind of all rolled into one. He gets a lot out of being friends with her, an endless supply of pixie dust to impress people and being able to fly when he really plays no active part in it. He can send Tink ahead to places and search for things, like his shadow or, you know, if the coast is clear. And then in return, Tink doesn't really get much from Mm -hmm. Peter other than just being near to him because she herself has a crush on him. Right. And I'm just like, even that, like, Tank, 
you're fine. You don't need this man, mm-hmm. this boy, mm-hmm. this child. A boy, no. yeah. So she basically sacrifices her life for Peter with the whole bomb situation where it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. she is kind of to blame that she led him there. But like, even when she was like selling him out, she's like, don't hurt him though, because I care about him. And then when he's like, you're going to get hurt, she flies there and then she literally like flies the bomb away mm-hmm. and it explodes with her holding it. Yep. And honestly, I cannot say for sure that Peter would reciprocate that if the roles were reversed. I also just want to take a note about Tinkerbell's banishment and how Peter acts in it. It's weird. So first off, he arbitrarily banishes Tink forever for plotting to kill Wendy. And then after Wendy says not to, he's like, okay, well then a week. Because it's either forever or a week. Like those are <laughs> those are our options here. But number two, right after that whole thing goes down, immediately, and I mean immediately when you watch the movie, he switches focus right back to ways to impress Wendy, like taking her to see the mermaid. It's like a serial killer. I shit you not. <laughs> he's like, he's like, okay, well, a week then. Come on, Wendy. Why don't we go see the mermaids? And I'm like, you just banished your best friend forever and then for a week. And then you're just like, all right, good times ahead. Like, <laughs> No, 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 no. So that's what we're dealing with in Peter and why the relationship is sort of fucked over there. Mm -hmm. So now let's put our attention on Wendy here. I think a lot of the issues with Wendy in this relationship are all related to her romanticization of Peter versus the reality that's in front of her. She puts the sort of romantic spin on their friendship that Peter does not. And I do think that this all at its root... It's due to the fact that she's never actually met Peter until this night. So she doesn't know who he is. And throughout the movie, she's constantly at war with a person that she expects Peter to be based off of the stories that she tells and who is actually on the journey with her. Mm-hmm. So wendy has got the hots for Peter. Let's talk about that. Okay. So Wendy, clearly on the cusp of puberty here, The whole struggle of the movie is that it's her last night in the nursery and she won't be able to tell stories anymore and she won't be able to be a kid. So she runs off with Peter to Neverland rather than move into her own room, which may I just say, why the hell doesn't she want her own room? (laughs) Like even as a kid, the prospect of having my own room was still awesome. But like even Mrs. Darling is appalled at the idea of her having her own room. I'm like, she's... She's not being sent to boarding school or something. She's moving down the hall. (laughs) Anyway, Wendy has clearly told so many stories that she's invented about Peter Pan, even though she believes that he's a real person, that she feels like she knows him inside and out. But she really just knows her own creation and not the real Peter, which, like I said, is what she's going to struggle with throughout the movie, whether she knows it or not. She's built this version of Peter in her mind, and then her earlier pubescent subconscious has thrown some love and, like, stirrings into the mix because literally no less than five minutes into meeting Peter for the first time, she wants to kiss him. Mm -hmm. And not like a, I'm so happy I could kiss you, like she tries to pass it off as at first. Like, she wants a real kiss because he's like, what's a kiss? And then she puts her horny Nala eyes on and she's like, 
I'll show you. <laughs> and she starts slowly strutting towards Peter, who is backing away mm-hmm. and, like, has to be stopped by Tinkerbell. So, I don't know. It's a weird thing of Wendy trying to adamantly remain a child, but then also kind of, like, sexualizes Peter the first chance she gets. Mm, okay. So she goes on this journey to Neverland because, yes, she doesn't want to grow up at the time, but also because she wants an adventure with Peter. She wants to be close to him, the guy that she's arraigning authority over all of the normies around her. So to me, it's like someone said, write down who you think Chris Evans is every day for over a year. And then Chris Evans walks through the door and is like, let's go to the Bahamas. (laughs) So you're going to have this weird experience battling the version of Chris Evans you've invented and who is actually here. And that's Peter Pan. That's the story. That's Mm -hmm. what's going on with Wendy. Mm -hmm. She's Mm -hmm. letting her feelings for this guy and who she thinks he is slash what he could be slash what she wants there to be cloud everything that she actually knows to be true about him. Mm -hmm. She's constantly in denial about the truth. Which is the second big thing about Wendy. And that's, I think, what is so sad about her character is that she is just in, she just denies so much. Where the journey could be in any other self respecting story, this person who is at war with who she's built this character to be and who he actually is, which, like, that would be an interesting story of growth for Mm -hmm. a character like Wendy. But that's not her story. Her story is never to reconcile that, which is Mm. sad. So Wendy's denial, one of the first Wendy denials of the story comes at the beginning when Wendy agrees to enter this friendship with Peter and go with him to Neverland. He cuts her off as she describes a pretty misleading description of a mother. And he's like, come with me to Neverland and you can be our mother. Now, for a kid who's looking to not grow up, I couldn't think of anything worse than being like, you don't want to grow up? Fine. How about you come with me and be a mom? Like, <laughs> yeah, I never no. <laughs> like, <laughs> but she's just like, yeah. She's like, I can do that because she's letting her feelings yeah. cloud her judgment. And then she denies that, like, that's actually not what she wants to do. That's the thing that she's pretty vehemently said that she doesn't want to do. But she does it anyway. And I think it's partially because she's assuming that she'll be the kid playing mom and that Peter will be the kid playing daddy. Mm-hmm. And that's not what she gets. Yeah, no. And then another really big denial happens at the end. And that's when Wendy looks back at her adventure with Peter. What is largely a time of being mistreated, ignored, almost killed, <laughs> gaslit. She sort of glosses over all of that in its entirety because of a fondness that she has for Peter stemming back to her romantic feelings for him. And it all gets glossed over because in the end, he saved her from taking a swim and then took her home in a really spectacular way that centers around him being the captain and not Tank, who was actually the one who made the whole motherfucking ship fly. (laughs) So this is... Trademark abusive relationship denial, like tamp it all down so you can live as long as possible in the good times. So that is all what is at the root of this pretty messed up relationship. And so now we're going to look at some of the highlights of Peter Pan and Wendy on their adventure where all of these things tend to manifest at the same time, (laughs) which is nuts. 
keep in mind that these are almost like all of the scenes where Peter and Wendy are together. Right, because I was going like, to say, it's not a long movie, right? Yeah. It's not a long movie. And nearly every scene where they're together, this stuff happens. Yep. So let's look at the incident with the mermaids, shall we? <laughs> so Peter asks Wendy if she wants to meet the mermaids. And she's like, yes. No sooner does she say that then he completely disregards her and just takes off flying. He leaves her, like, up on the cliff. And he goes down with the mermaids, greets them, and then he starts to tell stories with the mermaids and charm them. It's a new chance for him to be the center of attention and the hero to the mermaids. He's always playing to the new, freshest audience here. Mm -hmm. Wendy... She's calling for his attention, which upsets the mermaids. And he's like, oh, that's just Wendy. And continues his story. His guest on the island, his mother. He's just like, no. She's encroaching on his hero status right now. Because clearly the mermaids don't like her. And he likes them right now more than he likes Wendy. They're his audience. But the mermaids, they have clearly had enough of Wendy. And they bully her. And they splash Wendy aggressively trying to, quote unquote, drown her. Where's Peter when all this is happening? He flies into the air and laughs. He only intervenes when Wendy picks up a shell to beat the mermaids off and rightfully defend herself, which like, all right, here's some resourcefulness coming from Wendy. But even then, when he intervenes, he's playing hero to the mermaids again, because Wendy has threatened them. So he gets to be the hero and save them from evil Wendy. And then, okay, he Basically gaslights Wendy being like, they were just having fun. And then this is where it gets interesting. Wendy actually begins to tell him the fuck off in this Mm, moment where she's like, I'm not going to be treated like this by the mermaids. I'm not going to be treated like this by you. And I'm like, yes, queen, like go off. But then they get distracted by Hook and he literally silences her. By putting his hand over her mouth. Oh, I was always so bothered by that as a kid. Oh, my goodness. This whole scene, but that especially. I'm like, yes, this is for safety. <sighs> like, this is this is a safety precaution moment. But, like, it's also selfish because what she's saying right now are not good things that you want to hear. Like, it's, it's, a, pretty, it's a pretty intimate act mm-hmm. to do that. And I'm just like... I don't know. The vibe it, is not it good. Doesn't I? I get where it's coming from, but like, there's a cost to not doing that. Not after what just regardless. happened in the scene. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, not after what just happened. Exactly. No. So then that leads us to our next incident, which happens at Skull Rock. Literally five minutes later, after the incident with the roommates, Wendy, with a master's in the art of denial is all worried about Peter and legitimately saves his life from Captain Hook, who's about to hook him in the throat. But then Peter proceeds to try and impress Wendy with some, you know, braggadocious shit and show-offy things. And it's him reclaiming this narrative about himself. It's like, oh, I didn't need to be saved. Everything was in control. Like, I'm I'm the hero. You didn't actually save my life because it really wasn't in danger. So our transactional mm. relationship, like, I don't owe you anything. Like, mm. that's what's happening here. Mm. Interesting thing to note here, Wendy doesn't try to help in the fight. Granted, if Peter had treated me like that, me neither. I'd be like, bro, yeah, you're on your own. But in a normal friendship... I wouldn't just watch my friend fight for their life, even if I'm at a disadvantage, like I can't fly, I'm outnumbered. I would be finding anything 
that I could do with whatever my skills would be to try and save this person. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. There could be a variety of reasons for this, but one could be that Wendy enjoys playing the damsel in distress because it lets her play an active role in Peter's hero fantasy. The sheer number of times she like he carries or catches her in this film, he like does maybe. carry so her I'm, around a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking that that's probably more of why she holds back. It's 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 a selfish thing where it's like mm. if I'm in distress, then I have a place here. That's a legit which, like, relationship dynamic. Yeah, and <laughs> that's like, real. That's not good. <laughs> But after he scares Hook off, Peter is caught up in his cocky self, literally crowing. Literally (laughs) crowing. And Wendy, Wendy reminds him to save Tiger Lily, who is legit drowning as the tide is coming in. And what does Peter do? He swoops in to save Tiger Lily, and then he takes off and leaves Wendy behind because Tiger Lily is his new audience. Tiger Lily is the new person that he's playing Mm -hmm. hero for. And... My God, Wendy, in this moment, she's calling out after him and she just sort of like weakly flies behind him and he doesn't so much as look back. Like, fuck, dude. No. And so then the last thing that I'm going to talk about is the incident at the indigenous people's camp slash hangman's tree. So Wendy, in yet another denial of what an ass Peter is, is right back to rooting for Peter as he's honored in this ceremony. But then she's made to work the event (laughs) by gathering firewood, and not once does Peter see his guest being put to work because it doesn't benefit him. He's playing hero to Tiger Lily and the indigenous people, not Wendy. So she doesn't factor in at all. And so then while Wendy's getting the firewood, Peter is ogling Tiger Lily dancing. Like a fucking horn dog. And then she gets right up into his face and presumably kisses him, which makes him go, quote unquote, wild. And that is the thing that pisses Wendy off. Because the romance for her is real, even though it's very much of her own making. And then even in this, I do feel bad for Wendy because she's constantly getting whiplash here. Where she has all of Peter's attention and then none of it. Like, that's the story of the movie. She has all of it and then none of it. Mm -hmm. And he does nothing for Wendy and seldom acknowledges that she isn't even having fun on the adventure. Like, the reality is she's not not having a good time. That's what I was just thinking about, yeah. Yeah, all she does is work and try to look out for his best interest and safety. And he just takes it and he gives nothing back. And as far as friendships go, like, even just friendships, take out the romantic element, that's shitty. Like, that mm-hmm. is a shitty right. friendship. Right. right, That's not okay. Back at Hangman's Tree, Wendy, again, she does stand up for herself. She goes up to Peter and he's like, why can't you be happy for me? Everyone thinks I'm wonderful. And then she just goes right in for the especially Tiger Lily. And we're back to this romantic jealousy. She denies all the legitimate things that she has to be upset for and then just reduces it to her romantic relationship because that's something that actually can kind of easily be solved. Mm. Whereas all the other things, like she can't change the fact that he's an ass. Mm-hmm. So those are big three incidents that are kind of like the main moments of Peter and Wendy right. in the course of their adventure. I'm leaving out the climax because it's the typical, like she's on a boat, she's in trouble. Mm-hmm. She's like, Peter Pan will save us. And then he does. And I'm like, <sighs> 
uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> the fact that she still has so much hope that Peter Pan will yeah. save us after, like, it's. Mm. I, I, I don't know how to help you, Gal. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't. So, honestly, you know, Peter's most selfless act with Wendy is to take her home. <laughs> Yeah. Because she is having a miserable time. And I think this may be one of the only times that he does something for Wendy that is actually what's best for her. But even saying that, it's still transactional and selfish for Peter. Because back in the tree, he got a taste of what having a mother is really like. And he was not about it. So he's just dropping off the bad investment. Damn. Like, <laughs> that's really what's happening here. All in all, when you really look at what's going on here, it's not a good friendship. It's not a good relationship. This is not this romantic end-all, be-all. And it sucks because when people say Peter and Wendy, your brain goes right to this classic childhood duo with like a bit of first love right. romance. But at least in this Disney film portrayal, I don't think this is one to look back on with a lot of fondness. It's actually pretty toxic. Mm-hmm. It's a poor standard for friendship. Yeah. And yeah, I'm looking at it with more openly critical eyes in the world of 2021. But, you know, I would bet my bottom dollar that there were people going to the theater back then who were thinking the same thing. Maybe they weren't saying it out loud. I do think you can still like Peter and Wendy. And factor in all of the other iterations of them over the years since the play first premiered or the book was first published. But damn, if this movie is all we had for Peter and Wendy, we would be in a rough spot. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, I I don't know. I, I can't quite put my finger on it because I do like Peter and Wendy when I see them in the park. And when you see them, your brain like does this thing and you're like, oh, Peter Pan and Wendy, like they're a great fit. But then when you actually watch it, it's just like. No, it's not. It's not good. And I didn't I didn't think these things as a kid, but I definitely felt them. And I honestly think that a lot of this is the reason I didn't like Peter Pan. It was never one of the movies that I latched onto as a kid. I liked the musical a lot, and I mm. think some of these things are a little a little bit, not a lot, a little bit improved in the musical. But you felt that, like because I couldn't help it as a as like a young girl, I kind of like placed myself as Wendy and just you don't see many good things happen to her in this movie. And it's hard even as a kid, it's hard to watch. Yeah, it really is. But yeah, no, Peter Pan was for me like one of those movies that I latched on to as yeah. a kid. Like I loved Peter Pan, hmm. but I think it was more of like I loved the visuals of it, the adventure. I yeah. loved the scale. And like, you know, it's it's my director brain as a child like <laughs> sitting there and it's like oh my god look at the world building but like I didn't have that <laughs> I'm sure I didn't that. have those words <laughs> I know but um I feel like Peter Pan and Wendy are the thing that we make them out to be in culture as like a good thing solely because there were people who just decided that that's kind of what it was not because we had any sort of like hard and fast evidence But people are always just like Peter Pan and Wendy. So like everyone just sort of adopted that as opposed to like really looking Mm -hmm. at it. Mm -hmm. Like doesn't Mm -hmm. Taylor Swift have like a lyric about like Peter losing Wendy or something like that? Yeah, she does. And like even there, like that, it persists. And it's this idea of like this first romance sort of Mm -hmm. thing. In the musical, 
in the newer version that they did on NBC, they like, I think, brought back this song for Wendy that's called Only Pretend. And like, I just keep thinking of the lyric that she sings, which is like, just for a moment, let's pretend that it's real. And she's talking about what she feels for Peter. And that's her big song. <laughs> and I'm. <sighs> eh. And so, and oh, pause, pause, pause. I literally love that song. It's very beautiful, but that's what she gets. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard. I think you like had it in your book once, like a very. I very have long it. Time I did ago. it in my musical theater reel because it's a freaking beautiful song. Like, yeah. But then when you think about a little girl feeling this, it's like no, no. I know, like, but that's the thing. It's like yeah. she's a little girl. Like she's a yeah. girl. She's like as girl. I was writing my notes, I kept saying like women and like lady, and I'm like no, no, she is a, a girl. girl. She's probably like, I'm like what? she's a child. Nine, Ugh. ten. And that's the sad thing about this story is like the things that are happening with her relationship with Peter. Like, yes, we see them in like very, very young couples, like things of like he's being an asshole to her and ignoring her and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But there are also things that when you normalize them for yourself, you repeat over and over and over again until they become your every day, like mm. until they become your normal for a relationship. Mm. And I think that's what's so heartbreaking to me about the end <laughs> when she looks oh, back and yeah. she just sees nothing but good times for this adventure. Mm. Because I'm like, if I sat down and I made a pros and cons list of everything that happened to you here, <laughs> this was a this was a bad time. This was a like, bad time. Yeah, exactly. This is a this is a bad time where you can exactly. look back on it and be like, whoo, that was a time. Glad I'm Thank not God, doing that over. again. <laughs> but yeah. This is this is a relationship that I think we need to rethink. Like we yeah. need to we need to recalibrate a little bit around Peter and Wendy, which I'm hoping, dear God, maybe in this live action version. Yeah, I'm excited. We can yeah, revise some of this relationship so that part of the Disney canon will now be some more positive things on the side of Peter, because he has a lot of things in his story that he needs to grow from. And that doesn't really happen. We see the growth happen in Wendy because she's really our main character here, not Peter Pan. She goes to this island and she basically has to be the grown up for everyone. Mm. And she realizes that like, yeah, it's exhausting and everything, but it's not anything different than like what she's already been doing at home. And like, mm-hmm. it's okay that she's going to be okay being the grown up and taking care of people. And like, mm. that's fine because being a kid forever isn't everything that's cracked up to right. be. Yeah. That's her journey. But Peter needs to go on a journey as well, and he doesn't. We don't see him take anything from being around a person like Wendy. Mm, Sell him. All right. So that's everything I've got to say about Peter Pan, which is a lot more than even I thought it was going to be. I concur with you. So let's let's look at the flip side of this. Yes, please. I think there is a couple who's not really a couple necessarily in Disney canon who has got the right thing going on. So I'm going to talk about Mary Poppins and Bert from Mary Poppins. Mm, yes. Now, yes. So this started for me. We were talking about what we wanted to discuss in this episode. I mentioned Mary and Bert and you were like, they're so hot together. And I'm like, they are. So I agree. So, <laughs> so, oh so that was kind of <sighs> just going to be, I was going to be like, they're hot together. I think it's a great relationship that that has some romantic undertones, but seems like a healthy friendship. All of that for sure. And I believe it even more now. 
And so I feel like even as kids, we were all watching this movie being like, there's something going on between them. But, you know, but it was unconscious. Oh, yes. Yeah. But you could like you couldn't watch that movie and not definitely pick it up. Well, but you'll be surprised. I found some things that people who definitely don't think that, but we'll get there. They're wrong. <laughs> but what I found when I was going to present this is just like a great, healthy, maybe a little bit romantic friendship. I am now. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're going to think I'm on something. I think. Mary and Bert have one of the deepest romances in the Disney canon. And these two aren't even a couple. (laughs) So, Oh, shit. I'm not only here to clap for like a healthy, you know, semi-romantic pair, but I am going to deep dive into why this couple has just absolutely captured my imagination after some of the things I have learned. Um, This might get a little conspiracy theory. Um, I'm here for it, though. You can check me. I don't know. We'll see. Um, (laughs) Take me into Dianon. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's where we're going. So, of course, as we do, little history, quick, quick. So Mary, the Mary Poppins film premiered on August 27th, 1964. It's directed by Robert Stevenson and produced by Walt Disney himself again and with songs written by uh, Richard and Robert Sherman, the Sherman brothers. The Shermans. The Shermans. The screenplay is by Bill Walsh and Don DeGrotti. And it is based on the books of Mary Poppins by P.L. Travers, a series of eight children's books. Of course, check out the movie Saving Mr. Banks if you want to know more about the creation of the film and P.L. Travers' life and relationship with Walt Disney and this film. And how but much she hated we, it. <laughs> yes, exactly. And boy, oh boy, did I learn some even more things and my mind is blown. So the film stars the one, the only the queen, the dame, Julie Andrews, as Mary. This was her first feature film, people. She won an Academy Award for it. Yeah, I'm reading her book right now, actually, Homework, where she talks about filming this, and she was really just like, I didn't even know where to look. (laughs) But she did that. And she won a freaking Oscar. Oh, my God. Um, So, of course, we've got Dick Van Dyke as Bert and Mr. Dawes Sr., David Tomlinson as Mr. Banks, Glennis Johns as Mrs. Banks, Karen Dotris as Jane, Matthew Garber as Michael, Ed Wynn as Uncle Albert, and many, many more. But we're focusing on Mary and Bert right now, so let's Stats keep going. Cast. Yeah. So the film, I'm surprised. I forgot how long this movie is. It's 139 minutes long. It's solid. There's there's a lot in here. So the budget was 4.4 to 6 million. It's a little bit unclear. And the box office was 103.1 million dollars. <laughs> it was a smash. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so again, as Connor said, this is a classic, but very quickly, if you need a refresh, the wealthy Banks family has just caused another nanny to walk out on the children, Jane and Michael, who received no attention whatsoever from their very preoccupied, crappy parents. Mary Poppins arrives on the wind to fill the position. Mary and her uh, friend, Bert, take the children on a series of magical adventures that eventually snap the bank's parents back into the reality that children need to feel seen and loved. Let's just keep going. That gave me chills. I feel like I'm going to start crying right <laughs> this <is> now. so good. <laughs> Fuck. So let's just start with what we know about some base level things that we know about Bert and Mary. So here's what we know about Bert. He is a jack of many trades. He, I forgot, I actually forgot this. He holds many different jobs across the course of the film. Like, we all call him yes. the chimney sweep, but that's not all he is. Um, no. He's a street musician. He's a chalk artist. He is a chimney sweep. He's that. He's also our narrator. He sees us, the audience, and he's the only one who speaks directly to us. He sells kites. So he obviously has some very special connection to this story. He senses Mary's arrival with the change in the wind. There is obviously, from the get-go, some very deep connection between them that's almost, like, spiritual. He is also a life-of-the-party improviser type. He entertains a crowd at the top of the film and continues to entertain Mary and the children through song and dance for the rest of the film. And... We learn a little bit in Mary Poppins Returns. 
mysterious. He's not there. He's away traveling the world. Parts He's in parts unknown. And he's left behind his apprentice, Jack. Very, very mysterious. Mm-hmm. So that's something we find out later. But I thought it was worth mentioning because it'll, pl- it'll, it'll come into play. All right. Here are some basic things that we know about Mary. Again, proven through Mary Poppins Returns and some other clues that they drop in this film. She does not age. All right? No. She's in command of some kind of magic. And here are some of the things that she says of herself. I'm never cross. I'm kind, but extremely firm. I never explain anything. And practically perfect people never permit sentiment to muddle their thinking. So all of these sentiments indicate not necessarily someone who has their shit together, but someone who has a wall up to emotion in some kind of way. Mm-hmm. We see a flash of anger from her when she wants to reprimand Mr. Banks, but she expertly pulls it back and we see the veneer of calm come back immediately. Like she's very practiced at putting up the wall. And I'm curious about that. And I have some theories about what that is. So also together, here are some things we know about their familiarity because we find out that Bert and Mary definitely knew each other before the events of this film. Mary says, nice to see you again, Bert. He says to someone, not if I know Mary Poppins. She says to him, you haven't changed a bit, have you? And then she says, Bert, none of your larking about. She knows what he's he's like. Again, these could all Mm -hmm. be things that friends would say about each other. Mm -hmm. Okay, but there's familiarity. One of the first things that Mary does is give Bert a very sarcastic, like, slow clap, the kind that you give someone who is at least a very dear friend to you. But that's yeah. usually, like, something you 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 do to someone you have deeper feelings for. You're trying to tease them a little bit. But he knows who it is by her silhouette. Oh, my gosh. And he wants to draw it immediately. Is this Titanic? He's like, <laughs> wait just a minute. Is this Titanic? Don't move a muscle. Oh, my God. Take uh, my heart. <laughs> Jumping, I'm going to be jumping around in terms of the events of the movie here just to gather evidence. And so in this category for me, at the end of the film, Mary's umbrella says to her, you don't fool me a bit. And there's something more mysterious going on here when it comes to Mary and letting love and closeness into her life. First of all, before we go any further, I need to disprove another theory that is bouncing around. It's an interesting one, but it's wrong. So there's a theory that that has gone around and people have really spent a lot of time proving that Mary was actually Bert's nanny. And that's how they know each other. No. Here is the no. evidence that has been presented for that. And I'm going to just take each point and I'm going to tell you why it's not true. <laughs> so in Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, Bert talks about being a child who was afraid to speak before he learned that word. And people are saying that's a word that's specifically Mary's. He learned that from her when she was his nanny. Maybe I'm going out on a limb here, but what if he learned the word from somewhere and he shared it with Mary? Like, why isn't that possible? What but if it's also, their they're thing? They're just like spinning hypotheticals in that song. Like, sure, but like, like which? What if it's also just their thing and not something that she taught him? It could be their common thing. They sing it together. It's 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 a they play off of each other the whole time, like you said. Yeah, he sings also. I feel what's to happen all happened before. People think this is indicating that all of this is, these are the kinds of events that happened when she was his nanny. I disagree. I think he has been witness to Mary's work, but not a recipient of her work. 
This theory also says that Mr. Dawes of the bank is Bert's father, and they're like, that's why they had Dick Van Dyke play him. That's not true, because I'm also reading Julie Andrews' book, and it's just because, like, Dick Van Dyke wanted to do it, but whatever. Yeah. I won't get into, into all of the evidence why. I could buy it, and part of the explanation is that only people who have associated with Mary in some way float when they laugh. People then believe that Mary was never able to turn Mr. Dawes into a better father the way that she has successfully done with others. And her guilt over that is why she keeps returning to Bert's life. She wants to check in on him, bring him joy. But I believe that it's actually Bert who brings the joy into Mary's life, not the other way around. Yeah. And as interesting as this was to me when I first read about it, There is an extremely clear romantic flirtation going on between them that would be very inappropriate if Mary had been Bert's nanny. Even if they're the same age now because she never ages, it would give Mary this skeevy quality that is not her at all. So honestly, for that, for me, it's 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 a no. And I will go on and I will give you these examples of the things that they say that are so clearly and obviously romantic and I've heard people be like, well, that that thing that they said, it could be a friendly banter thing. Before anyone says any of that, this is my favorite part of this. This is why it's clear that there's something between them and it's history. So this has to do with P.L. Travers. The way that P.L. Travers originally portrayed the first piece that she ever wrote about Mary is the key and proof to me that there is a deep love between Mary and Bert. So first of all, special thanks to Lena Slavova of the MaryPoppinsEffect.com, who provided all this history on the book. So Travers first wrote about Mary when Travers was 27 years old in the year 1926, eight years before the first Mary Poppins book was published. The short story was titled Mary Poppins and the Matchman. The story is about a 17-year-old girl, Mary Poppins, the underneath nurse of Jane and Michael and John and Barbara Banks, who are like younger, who on her, in all caps, day out, embarks on a magical adventure in a picture drawn by her friend Bert the Matchman. Travers redrafted this story and included it in the Mary Poppins book under the title The Day Out, which is the basis of the Jolly Holiday sequence. Travers made several adjustments in that chapter before she put it in the book. But the most notable one is in Mary's dialogue in one section. In the short story, this is an excerpt from the short story. It says, Mary, he cried, and this is Bert, and you could see by the way he cried it that he loved her. Mary Poppins smoothed out her dress and looked hard at her shoes and smiled at the matchman all at once, and you knew by that that she loved him too. Oh my God. But then, oh my God. But then, in the book, oh she God. changed it. Here's what she changed it to in the book. It goes like this. Mary, he cried, and you could tell by the way he cried it that Mary Poppins was a very important person in his life. Mary Poppins looked down at her feet and rubbed the toe of one shoe along the pavement two or three times. Then she smiled at the shoe in such a way that the shoe knew quite well that the smile wasn't meant for it. <laughs> it's just saying the same thing another way. Yes. And so I, so you're like, why? Why, why, why? Okay. This is also, again, thank you so much to the MaryPoppinsEffect.com. This has captured my imagination. So according to historian Brian McKernan, P.L. Travers is personified in Mary, 
And her literary mentor, George W. Russell, That's, I, is personified in Bert. That is exactly what I thought was going to happen. Yep. She was going to hide her feelings yeah. for someone in the story. Yep. Mm. Travers referred to Russell as the matchman. And Russell loved to paint everywhere, even on pavements. Sound oh. familiar? Mm. So in the original story, the short story, Mary is very different. She's younger. She's dreamier. P.L. Travers changed very much in the in those years between the short story and the novel, and then so did Mary, of course, her counterpart. It appears that Travers was close to Russell for a very long time. Did she grow out of any affection that she might have felt for him and rewrote it for that reason? Or is the more stern and independent Mary a reflection of the woman that she had to become after a great love did not work out for her? That's the one. That. Ugh. That's the one. This is my greatest prediction as to why the film does not define Mary and Bert's relationship. If you've seen Saving Mr. Banks, you know that Travers was very protective of this story. If anyone had any inkling that this possible romance was tied to her life, indicating so in the film would have pissed her off even more. I'm sure people knew that. And mm-hmm. um, even more, it would have gotten her even angrier than she was about the dancing penguins. So that's my a little bit of my guess. And also the romance just, again, is not as clear in the book as it is in the short story. So let's just look at the romance that's hap- that is actually happening in the film. So Jolly Holiday, in like the paraphrase of Lin-Manuel Miranda, it's just one long flirt. And now we know that this scene is the original source of the Bert-Mary relationship from that short story from P.L. Travers. So, I mean, first of all, Mary Poppins, who is organized and responsible and no-nonsense, allows Jane and Michael to run off completely on their own so that she can have a stroll tea, a dance with Bert all by herself. Bert says to her, you look beautiful like the day I met you. Okay, so take this line and put it in any context and try to convince me that that isn't ultra romantic. Also, you look beautiful like the day I met you when I was a child and you were my nanny. That yeah, doesn't no. work. That automatically <laughs> exactly. it. No, it's gone. Exactly. <laughs> that would be uh, fucked. This is not a big babysitter fantasy, people. Like, no. <laughs> so... That for sure. But he's not only remarking on her beauty, but he's trying to pull on her sentimentality. Like, what was the day when they first met? I need to know. Oh, I want to know. She sings. I know so bad. I know. I don't know. I'm going to write some fan fiction. <laughs> oh, my God. Please do. <laughs> um, not rated, please. Right. <laughs> <sighs> so she sings in the song, You'd Never Think of Pressing Your Advantage. So especially for 1910, this is indicating that Bert is a very good dude. Again, not the kind of thing that you would say to a platonic friend, because there would be no advantage to press. The comment does puzzle me, though, as it seems to point to them never having had an actual romantic moment, maybe. And I'm convinced that one has already happened. So is this Mary trying to remind him not to cross the line again? Maybe. Then, when Mary sings, A lady needn't fear when you are near. Your sweet gentility is crystal clear. Watch Bert's face. Something happens in his face. Something's going on and he gets extremely flustered. It was a really interesting moment. He went through like 10 different emotions as she sang that. I don't know what it is. Also, Mary really only full out grins and lets loose when she is watching Bert. That's just also that. But then later in the song, when Bert lists out all the names of like other lovely women, Mary is clearly pissed. This goes into my next point, which is that something romantic has definitely already happened between them. But no one would get that mad about someone that they could potentially be with. You're going to get mad when someone you were with is talking about other women. She's yeah, mad. Yeah, that's true. 
Of course, then, the romantic waltz at the end of the number. Also, he sings When Mary Holds Your Hand. That's major. In 1910, holding hands was like, it's a done deal. That's like, like, you're like together. tongue kissing. Yeah, exactly. Also, just side note, I get it. You know, Dick Van Dyke is a, is a big performer. But the feature film poster features Bert and Mary, not Mary and the children. And this is a story about a nanny, isn't it? But it's the two of them on the poster. Interesting. Yeah, also, they're the big stars, so they're selling yeah. the tickets. But but the, there's not, the kids aren't even in the corner. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you could have put the four of them on the poster, but they didn't. I, yeah, now they could have just done like, the four of them on the carousel. And, like, that yes. Okay. Here are some theories of mine. I'll just hold on tight. I might sound a little a little nutsy, but here we go. All right. All so right. my theory is that a, a, a romance has already occurred, and I think there is something tragic going on here, and I have a couple of ideas. No, not tragic. I'm sorry. The energy between Mary and Bert has history. This isn't two people who have feelings for each other. These are two people who have already been together, but something about their relationship was incomplete. I will present a few options from most realistic to the most out there. <laughs> this is like this is like you're in front of the chalkboard. I will present a few options. That's what I when I was typing this out. I felt like a crazy person. I was like, all right. Let's start with most realistic. It could be that Mary and Bert try to be together and are just too different. Mary is methodical, and Bert goes where the wind takes him. No pun intended. They're very much each other's compliments, and I think that's why we all love them so much. They're a really fun duo. Mary also says to Bert, why do you always complicate things that are really quite simple? And to me, this is a major clue about their relationship. I think Mary cut it off, and Bert continues to put the moves on her and push their friendship into something more. Mary is too dedicated to her work to make room for romance and asks Bert just to be her friend. Bert says later, I don't like to see any living thing caged up. Maybe he knew that Mary felt that way when they were together and set her free, even though he still loves her. Uh, But Mm. she also puts a cage on herself. She does. She Uh, does. And she needs him to open the door and set her free. (laughs) She does. Later in the film, she says this. Sometimes a person we love, through no fault of his own, can't see past the end of his nose. Mary could be referring to herself, like you were just saying, and her turning down a romance with Bert and keeping herself in her cage. Or this could indicate something about Bert and a reason that she and Bert cannot work out. Whatever it is, this comment definitely is not just about Mr. Banks, okay? It's not. Yeah. Let's take it a level further. I think it's possible. This is already pretty out there, but I'm going to go one step further after this. I think it's possible that Mary and Bert were together and there was something tragic that happened that has to do with children. Bert indicates some kind of knowledge of fatherhood, saying a father can always do with a bit of help. Bert is the one who imparts parenting wisdom to Mr. Banks, not Mary, towards the end of the film. I think Mr. Banks's change of heart has as much to do with Bert as it does with Mary. Is Bert saying this because of this desire that he has to have children? Does he have all of these odd jobs because he's trying to leave space for a child to come into his life? And he knows that jobs like Mr. Banks's will distance you from your child? Or are these odd jobs the kind of thing you do to keep busy after a major loss, like the end of a relationship? Or 
the loss of a child. At the end of the film, Mary says, What would happen to me, may I ask, if I loved all the children I said goodbye to? This would explain the fantastical and childlike worlds Mary and Bert love to be in, places to escape from grief. The sad reality is that losing a child can break up parents. It happens very, it's very sad. It happens all the time. A a child passes, the parents just can't stay together. The closeness and yearning we feel between Mary and Bert could explain that. And also why Mary has dedicated her life to children, while Bert does a little bit more avoidance through humor and silliness. When Mary watches the Banks family skip away at the end of the film, the look on her face is not simply, oh yeah, like I did a good job, I fixed the family. It's very wistful and sad. And it's not just about missing Jane and Michael. She's looking wistfully at a family unit. Yeah, that she wants. And she can't <sighs> okay. have, or I mean, it also or could be. Or maybe she can't have children. Yeah, it could be that like maybe yeah. they were together. Maybe they wanted a family. She can't have children. He's like, it's okay. I love you anyway. And she's like, no, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, and this is this is real out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe the two of them were a couple, a very, very young couple, had a mm-hmm. child, did everything right. The child passes. And maybe in that child's passing, that is where the magic oh. of the, the two of them is born out of that. Like maybe that is mm. when Mary gets like blessed with some magic powers and he gets to live forever. And maybe Bert Ooh. lives forever too. Like we don't know. Like maybe like that happens for the two of them. And that their framework of their entire lives is like you both wanted a child, had such a beautiful relationship. That's what you want more than anything in the world, and you couldn't have it. So in return, the universe is blessing you with the fact that you get to be with everyone else's children for the end of your days. Okay. My brain started going to some really interesting places like that. And for a second, I was like, whoa, girl, hold on. Oh, I'm I'm riding this this, train. (laughs) Yeah. I thought of this next part. And I was like, oh, man, I'm starting to lose my mind. But then I poked around, and I found someone on Reddit who – think something similar as me so here we go great find that one person to justify your opinions and <laughs> yep. you're golden we're a little bit different okay so here we go all right is mary some kind of angel it would explain her powers but i liked your explanation too her lack of aging and her leaving once her healing is complete Mr. Banks describes a new atmosphere in the house since Mary arrived, and to me, that indicates something beyond, like, good nannying and magical cleanups happening. At the end of the film, Bert says, goodbye, Mary Poppins, don't stay away too long. And Mary's final look of the film is at Bert, and there is a lot going on behind it, as if there's a larger power at work that makes knowing when she will see him again be out of her hands. Mary tells the children that she will stay until the wind changes. And the wind changing is when someone learns something about love and commitment. The wind changes at the start of the film. And I think it's key that Bert is the one who is in tune with that. The Reddit thread took it a bit further and said that Mary and Bert were married and that Mary passed away, like with childbirth complications. I'm not on that. I'm not on no, that wavelength no, right now. I'm not there. It, it, it's a little bit out there for me, especially because Bert does not have any like shock at seeing her. But my brain was starting to go to some strange places too. There is some mystery between these two that is deep and complicated and melancholy. And I'm a little bit obsessed with it, so you can also find me trolling Reddit for more. But this kind of idea would answer the question of 
why can't they be together? That isn't as simple as they just don't get along. They're too different. So I don't know. No matter what you believe about Bert and Mary's previous relationship, again, like kind of what we talked about with Peter Pan and Wendy, at the baseline of the friendship, theirs was bad. The baseline of their relationship is just good stuff. Even yeah. if you want to believe that nothing romantic has actually happened between them and they are just friends, they're doing it right. Bert has Mary's back and takes care of Jane and Michael after they run away from the bank. Solid. They are each very individual, independent people who come together and then just have a grand old time. They point out things about each other that they love. Mary calls Bert a diamond in the rough, for example. Bert sings a whole damn song about her and why she's so great. Even though Mary is clearly the one gifted with the most amount of magic, it seems like Bert possesses a little something of his own. But he's never threatened by Mary's strength in any way. He only seeks to support her endeavors and enhance the fun of the moment. Even though they are close and clearly love being together, there's still a freedom and understanding that Mary is going to come and go, and Bert is there to pick up where they left off when she returns. There's something intangible about them, and it's just very shippable. They look good together, they genuinely enjoy each other, and the baseline of their relationship is enjoyment and acceptance. Um, so I think I've I think I've finalized my theory. Okay. I think that Mary and Bert were a couple. Mm-hmm. They were in love. Maybe they weren't married. Mm. They had a child. I thought that maybe they as loved well. Their child. Okay. Child passes or they mm-hmm. miscarry. But all they wanted in the whole world was a child. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the magic happens where mm-hmm. they both get, you know, blessed with eternal life, some magical properties and sort of stuff where they get to spend their entire lives helping children. The deal is, Bert's responsibility is to find the family that needs help. And then Mm. Mary comes in with the magic, and then the two of them Mm. fix the family. So Bert's job on Earth, Mm. like, is to scout out the next families. Because he knows the Banks family. Yeah. Like, he knows a lot of things about the Banks family. he does. Specifically. More than just, like, some random street guy, street musician, chalk drawer, kite seller would know. He introduces us to, and he's like, this is where we're going. Like, this is who you're meeting. This is where they live. This is the deal. This is what the street is like. He's been scouting it out for a while. I think he's the tip off. He scouts it out and then calls Mary in with the exception that Mary is allowed to come back if a family that she already has helped before needs help again i.e. the darlings for Mary Poppins Returns, Mm -hmm. which would explain why Bert is away looking for the next Oh, because that's what I was going to say. Where is he? Okay. He's probably off looking for the next family that needs help. Okay. But in the meantime, she is able to revisit them because they need help. She's not doing anything, and she's already helped them before. This idea would also explain why he has all of these jobs because it's easier to just, like, get to know people – if you take on different positions within, you're going to meet different people. You're going to, it's just easier. Yep. Hmm. You can blend in. You have a bunch of skills. Yeah. You can make, you can make, he makes practical magic and yes. she makes magic magic. Yes. Yes. I think that's what it is. <laughs> All right. I- P.L. Travers, <laughs> I, I've improved it. <laughs> that's what it is. <laughs> you're welcome. Oh my God. But yeah, at the end of the day. Whatever whatever level you think their potential romance is at, they're great with or without it at varying degrees of romance. They just rock. 
there's a reason that we're all drawn to them that you can't really quite explain. And I think there's just there's a lot going on in there. Like and it's even healthy when they're like pushing each other's boundaries. Like definitely. She, and and when they are asserting boundaries, like Mary is asserting boundaries, mm-hmm. Bert pushes them. She kind of pushes Bert's, like she asserts mm-hmm. her boundaries a little bit more. But when they're doing that, none of them are like, why are you doing that? They're just sort of like, all right, all right, I'll give you a little bit of space on this one. Yeah. And then I'll come back and I'll come no back. No one is forced to be that anybody that they aren't. They're just allowed yeah. to be themselves. Yeah. 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 Damn. Oh, that is a rabbit hole that I Needed. I'm never when I see them in the parks next. I'm never gonna look them the same way. And I, I mean, I'm just gonna be like, like, you lost, you lost something. Like you are here to escape the grief of losing your child. And like, gonna I'm be never like, gonna security. Please escort this woman <laughs> out know. of the park. I'm gonna be like, are you guys okay? Are you okay? I mean, oh god, I just I love them so much. I know. Like I know. They I they too. just perfectly balance each other in every single thing. It's There's just a like, reason why so many couples want to dress up like them and they're not even like a pure Disney couple, but I see people every Halloween dressed up like them because they're just they're it. Yeah. Not to mention <laughs> they're both hot. They're both hot. Like <laughs> they're, both, they're hot. both like really hot. <laughs> and she's like refined hot and he's like really like gang like gangly like active like energy hot. It's yeah. just yeah. What's the one day of the week that she asks off? Is it like it's the, the third? third Thursday? Third Thursday, maybe like that's also part of like the deal. Where like I'm gonna call Thursday I'm gonna call my fan fiction month. the third Thursday. Yeah, because like maybe that's like the that's the one that's the day that like maybe she and Bert have an agreement that like the third Thursday when she's <gasps> working a family the third Thursday yeah. that's when they can be yeah. how they once were. This or is their like, like as long as your mind moment in the woods. Yeah, you have. You have just sent me, Caroline. This is this is really what we live for. I'm vibrating on another level here. Like I'm on a new plane of existence right now. You're gonna want to go watch the movie now and just like think about this. Yeah, I'm probably gonna like watch it as I fall asleep tonight so that I can have like some good dreams. (laughs) I'm dead. Wow. Well, all right, folks. That's gonna do it for this episode. Thank you for sticking around because If you did, you got one hell of a rave this week. (laughs) So if you liked what you heard, please remember to follow or subscribe to us on whatever podcast app you listen on. Also, please remember to give us that rating and review. It does a lot to help us out in reaching new audience members uh, and just sort of expanding our reach so that people know about the podcast because... Really, we're at, when all is said and done, we're just two big Disney lovers, and we want to share mm-hmm. this with as many people as we can. So those ratings and reviews, they do a lot to help us do that. So thank you for that. And please come and follow us on social media. After this episode especially, we will definitely be asking what you all think of these two relationships. I know there are a lot of opinions out there. Give so us your theories, please. To share. Tell yeah, me give how us your mine theories. is correct. Yes, yes. So we are at Poor Unfortunate Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and we are at Unfortunate Pod on Twitter. And for even more discussion, please join our private Facebook group, the Poor Unfortunate Fam, uh, where we get to interact with the listeners a little bit more. Y'all get to talk to each other and share your opinions and discuss the episodes. And it's just really fun for us to put a little bit more of a person behind the listener. It's very exciting. And we just want to hear more about what you want to hear. So join us there. We can't wait to meet you. And if you have any questions for us, any suggestions for future episodes, 
or you're just not on social media, you can always email us. We are poorunfortunatepodcast at gmail.com. And then the last thing I'm going to say is that it does take us a little bit of money to keep the podcast up and running and coming to you. And we do have a PayPal account. It is linked in the episode description below. And it's also in any of the website links on our social media accounts. Truly anything that you have to spare goes right back into the podcast and is greatly appreciated. You can make one-time donations. You can make monthly donations. You can make them in any increment that you want. $5, $10, $500, 5000 $5 million. Uh, we'll <laughs> be grateful for any of it. So yeah, thank you in advance for considering that. Uh, we really appreciate anything and everything you might be able to give. And that's it. That's That's the episode. So... Until next time, Beluga Savruga. Savruga.